I love my wife for many reasons, one of which is we bought a house that needed work, and so she lets me work on the house. Uh, I like that. Uh, not all wives are that uh, generous, I think. And so I like it that she allows me to do construction projects. And the other day, uh, we uh, in, uh, installed a door out of our bedroom, and I'm going to build a little patio. And uh, the, we gathered up some pavers from what used to be in the front, and we put them back, because I don't throw things away, and we put them back, and so I'm going to use these pavers to make myself a patio, and part of that is you have to get everything level, that's kind of the deal, and so I was out there a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and one of the ways you can level stuff up a little bit is take a mallet, and you kind of kind of tap it, or in my case, you kind of beat it down, and and so uh, I was uh, trying to persuade one of these pavers to go uh, where I wanted it to go. And so I shifted it with my hand and I had my mallet and I came down on my finger. And some things immediately happened. I began speaking in foreign languages, unknown tongues, as the Bible says. But then other things happened and it's kind of remarkable now, Allison Miles, where are you? Uh, I'm going to use language. I'm going to use words that I know I'm going to say wrong. Do not correct me. Okay. All right. All right. So here we go. So I hit my finger, unknown tongues, but other stuff happens. In fact, this, th what, how do you say this? Do you know these words? You want to come up? Uh, all right. <laughs> no deception happens. This is a signal from wherever you hurt in my case, my pointer finger, uh, your pointer finger sends a signal to your brain that says, stop that. <laughs> Don't do that again. So that happened like immediately. Uh, in fact, it also said to me, <laughs> that was really dumb. Uh, so uh, that, that happens. And then if it's bleeding, this happens. It's called polymorphonuclear neutrophis. If you say it with like, you know what you're talking about, nobody questions you. And so this happens. There's these things in your bloodstream that come to the, the point of injury and it causes clotting so you don't bleed out and it also uh, causes clotting so infection doesn't get in. And this happens just like immediately. And then something else happens. Uh, it's called uh, macrophages and they head to the site and they begin to eat the infection. Now, this... Healing begins immediately. It happens, and I have no control over it. It's really interesting. And then something called, this is kind of ironic, the remodeling process happens, um, where it begins, <laughs> the irony, uh, it begins to go back to normal. And, and all this happens, and I do nothing about it. I, I can impede it, but I really can't cause it because it just happens. And so our message today is the, the fact that sometimes healing just happens. And what's interesting to me is uh, kind of three things happen when, when I hit my finger. Number one, it was like <laughs> the, the mallets are for real. You know, that's a real deal. Number two is you should move your finger before you hit the, uh, the paper. But the third thing I, I learned is, hey, healing just begins and I do nothing about it. Healing happens whether we want it to or not. In fact, you can impede healing, but you really can't cause it. Let's say you have a shoulder injury. 
I've had people in congregations before have rotator cuff surgery, and that's a, it's a, a tough surgery to recover from. And for a while, they put you in a sling, and you're not supposed to move your shoulder, and that's kind of the deal. And if you get out of the sling and do stuff, that's not going to be helpful. You can impede healing, but you really can't cause it. And healing hurts sometimes, and healing can leave a scar, it might leave a limp, but healing happens. In fact, it is as if God has sort of designed the world, not just our bodies, but he's designed the world to heal. So we lived in New Mexico. We love New Mexico. New Mexico is this huge state, and they have several different ecosystems depending on what part you're in. Uh, New Mexico has a 100 mountains that are 10,000 feet or above. Now, when you think New Mexico, I don't know what you think, but I never really thought about them being mountainous, but uh, the western side is mountainous, the Rocky Mountains are there. We lived in the southeast, and it was very deserty. So totally different ecosystem. Really cool where we lived in Artesia, you could drive about an hour and a half one direction and you could be in Alpine Mountains and you could drive an hour and a half in another direction and be in sort of deserty mountains. And both were equally cool. But the deserts, we lived kind of in the desert and it was kind of flat. And I think they got 13 inches of precipitation a year. So it hardly ever rains. And what you see most of the time are cacti and sagebrush and tumbleweed, which actually grows and breaks off and tumbles. It is an amazing thing. And you see lots of dirt, and you have lots of dust, and it is mostly, it has a beauty, but it's not the beauty we're accustomed to in a place like South Carolina. And then in the spring... They have the rains. They call them monsoon rains. And it's not a lot of rain, but it rains some in the spring. And when it rains in the spring, this happens. And all of a sudden, for about a week, there's this carpet of wildflowers that you would have never known were there. And for most, for 51 weeks of the year, you don't know it's there. But it rains, and it is as if the earth sort of heals itself. And in New Mexico, there are mountains, and sometimes there are wildfires, and that happens, I know, in other states. And, and so you can go to a place where there's been a wildfire, and it's gray or black, and it's ugly. And if you wait long enough, if you go after it has been burned, if you wait a few months, you show up and you see stuff like this. In fact, there are certain pine cones that won't release their seeds unless they get to a certain temperature. God has designed in nature healing. It is an amazing thing. And so today we're going to be looking at a story in Mark chapter 5 about a woman who receives healing. See, um, Israel believed God was a healer. In every, uh, you can kind of di differentiate people. Uh, some people are savers and some people are throwers away. You have savers and throwers away. And in every family, typically there's one uh, of your uh, husband or wife is a, a saver and one is a thrower away. And so at our house, a couple years ago, we had a lamp and it stopped lamping. And uh, uh, so I said to Miriam, I'm going to put this on the shelf and someday I'm going to crack it open and I'm going to try to fix it. And Miriam, uh, she said, no, just throw that away. We'll get another one. 
And the other day we, we bought a palm and we didn't plant it. So we kind of had it exposed. And, uh, when it froze it, I think it's dead. It doesn't look like it's doing very well. And so it looks really bad, but I want to save it. I, I said, Miriam, let's, let's keep it. She said, no, let's throw it away. We'll just get another one. And then the other day I started coughing, but I didn't tell her, uh, cause. So Israel believed that God was a saver, that he was one. There are indications throughout the scripture that God heals. In fact, they would look at verses like this. You yourselves have seen what I did. So God is speaking to the Israelites about delivering them out of Egypt. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings. And brought you to myself. And he's painting this picture. See, if you have a, a mother eagle and an eaglet gets injured, then the mother eagle will sometimes pick up this eagle and take it back to the nest on its wings. There's this picture God is painting of himself. I will cover you with my wings like a mother eagle covers an eaglet. It's just beautiful picture. And there's a really cool word that the Hebrews had for this. It's called kanaf. And kanaf means there is healing in his wings. Now, the Jews believed that someone was coming who would be a healer. There's a Messiah someday who would be a healer. And when Jews pray, they have a prayer shawl, especially the rabbis, and they have it on their shoulders most of the time. Most of the time they're blue and white. I have a picture here. That's blue. It's really a dark blue. And on the edges there are fringes. And the fringes are representative of the commandments. And the rabbis will say, uh, the commandments were given to us for our healing and for the healing of the world. And the, the rabbi's shawl, when he puts it on his head, the fringes would be about right here. And there's the idea, they called these fringes, they called them the kanaf. There's healing in his wings. And they were expecting this Messiah. And there was healing in his wings, and this corner of his prayer shawl, there would be healing. And they knew verses like this. God is saying, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And at Christmas, we sing this carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And one of the lines is, light and life to all he brings, risen with what? Healing in his wings. And it's this picture that the author of that uh, hymn was thinking. There's healing in his wings. And occasionally, when God was going to do something amazing, he would bring healing. It didn't happen all the time. It wasn't like an Oprah show. You get a healing and you get a healing. Uh, but occasionally, you read stories about people who are healed. There's a guy named Hezekiah, and God gives him healing there's a guy named Naaman, and he's not even a Jew, but God gives him healing. And sort of out of everybody, there comes healing. And then a guy is born by the name of Jesus, and he is a rabbi, and he develops a reputation as a healer. And when you develop a reputation as a healer, people want to see you. 
because it's uncommon. And so in that day, if you contracted leprosy, basically you contracted leprosy and you endured it till you died. You didn't get healed from leprosy. And yet Jesus came along and he healed lepers. And sometimes he healed 10 lepers at a time. And he begins to develop a reputation. And in Jesus' day, if you were born blind, you stayed blind. And yet Jesus healed people born blind. And if you were lame, if you couldn't walk, you stayed where you couldn't walk. And yet Jesus healed people and told them to take up their mats and walk. And he developed a reputation. And if you were born and you couldn't hear, you didn't receive new hearing uh, typically. And yet Jesus showed up on the scene and he begins to give people their hearing back. And he develops a reputation. And that's where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 5. In fact, we're going to be in the 24th verse. That's kind of where we're going to start. And here's the thing that I know about you and about me. We all need a little bit of healing. Let me explain. I'll read the story and then we'll stop and we'll talk about it just for a second. Then Jesus started off with him. Now, really important, we're going to come back to this guy named Jairus at the end of the sermon. Uh, So you're going to know, oh, it's the end of the sermon when we start talking about Jairus again. But that happens a little later. But I want you to kind of file it away. Oh, Jairus is in the story. He's not the main part of this story, but he's part of the story. So Jairus is a wealthy man who's part of the synagogue. He's a wealthy religious man. And he asks Jesus, hey, my daughter is 12. You have um, a reputation as a healer. Would you come and heal her? And Jesus is like, yes, I'll do that. And so they're on the way to Jairus' house. And so many people were going along with Jesus that they were crowding him from every side. And you have to admit, I would think, if someone came along today who could touch people and heal them, there would be a a clamor to see that. You know, all the news channels would be there. And folks would want to see it, we'd want to record it, and we'd want to play it because that is incredibly unusual. And so in that day, no different, Jesus has this reputation as a healer. (coughs) Jairus said, hey, can you come heal my daughter? Jesus says, yes. So they know healing is about to happen, and they're all around him. They crowded him on every side. There was a woman who had suffered terribly from severe bleeding for 12 years. And even though she had been treated by many doctors, she had spent all her money, but instead of getting better, she got worse all the time. This particular story is told in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're called the Synoptic Gospels. They have a lot of stories similar. Synoptic means to see together. And so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all include this story. Super interesting. Luke doesn't include the fact that she was treated by doctors and that doctors took all her money. Would anybody like to venture a guess as to what Luke did as a profession? (laughs) He was a doctor. And so uh, if I was retelling a story and it made pastors look bad, I kind of leave that detail out. And Luke does. I like that about the Gospels because it just makes them real. And Luke doesn't include that. But this is what happens. And this woman, well, she has suffered bleeding for 12 years, nonstop, 
for 12 years. And she's suffering physically. She has anemia. She has low energy. Financially, it's cost her. She's, she's tried to get better. It's not like she's just ignored it. She's done all she knows to do, but no success. But there's more to her suffering than just physical suffering. In fact, spiritually, according to Mosaic law, she is considered unclean. Which means everything she touches is unclean. Which means if she's a mother, and most women at that time were mothers, she couldn't put her kids to bed, or they would be unclean. And if she's a wife, and most women were wives, her husband couldn't touch her without being unclean. And everywhere she slept, that bed was unclean. And everywhere she sat, that chair was unclean. And when she got up, if you sat on that chair, you were unclean. She has this stigma. And so emotionally, there would be people who would say to her stupid things that people say, if you just had enough faith... And she lived with that tension. Not, not only do I feel bad, people talk about me behind my back, and I'm unclean. Now, I don't know about you, I don't know your life, but I've suffered physically before. I've needed healing. I've needed spiritual healing. I think most of us have. I've been so low in my life spiritually. I needed healing. Have you ever committed a sin that was so egregious that you wondered if God would take you back? It's debilitating. We, we know this story. We don't have the same story. But for 12 years, she suffers. And as a mother, you know, if your son hits his finger with a mallet, he's a boy, he'll come to his mama, and what does he want from his mother? Kiss it and make it better. Well, she couldn't do that without making him unclean. Dad's not so much. Dad's, or rub some dirt on that. Uh, you know, get up. Uh, one time I was mowing a yard. Uh, I was 20 years old or so, 19 maybe. I was mowing a yard and I pulled the mower back too far and I hit my boots and it stopped the blade. <laughs> That's not good, by the way. And I looked down, and, and my boot was cut, and there were fibers of my sock sticking out that were white that soon became red. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I'm going to be known as Joey Nine Toes. You know, it's like, uh, I have lost a toe. 
And I called my dad, if I'm lying, I'm dying, this actually happened. I called my dad, I said, Dad, I ran over my toe with a lawnmower. And he said, well, can you finish mowing or do I need to come get you now? <laughs> That's dad's. And every night for 12 years, she would pray. And every morning for 12 years, she would wake up to the answer to her prayer being, not yet. And every night she would pray, and every morning she would be disappointed. Now, she comes up with an idea, a scheme, if you will. Do any of you all remember I Love Lucy, the show I Love Lucy? Anybody? Only old people. Great. Uh, okay. Um, I Love Lucy. She was this sort of comedic savant. She was brilliant. And in the show I Love Lucy, she's married to Ricky Ricardo. And Lucy always comes up with these crazy schemes. And she's trying to make money or do something. And she always comes up with these schemes, but she never tells Ricky. You want to know why? Because Ricky wouldn't have approved. And every show, it seemed like Lucy comes up with a scheme, and Ricky finds out, and then Ricky confronts Lucy, and she, he says to her, Lucy, you've got what? Some splaining to do. Every time. Well, here you have, let's call her Lucy, and she comes up with a plan, and it's sort of a little bit sketchy. She decides that she's going to approach this man named Jesus who is a healer, and it takes boldness, but she's also afraid. Let me show you something. She had heard about Jesus. Well, who hadn't? Everybody had heard about Jesus. So she came in the crowd behind him. Really important detail. All three authors say she came up behind him. She, she was afraid. Now, she's bold. She really shouldn't be there. She's unclean. So she's breaking the law, the spiritual law of Israel. She's breaking the law. She's willing to risk, but she's, she's bold, but she's afraid. And she says to herself, if I can just touch his clothes. You know what she's saying? If I can just touch the shadow of his wings, I will be healed. And it's this crazy, magnificent scheme that she comes up with. And she's afraid. And she's bold. And if you were at the airport, let's, let's play a little game here. If you were in the airport and you saw someone famous, who, like if you, who would it be that you would see somebody famous and you'd want to go see them but you'd be afraid? Maybe you're like Chris and you have Bieber fever and you see Justin Bieber. And you say to yourself, oh, I'd like to approach him. But you, you kind of wonder, maybe, maybe not. Or you're a baseball fan. You see Aaron Judge. He's like 12 feet tall. And he's easy to recognize and he'd have a Yankee cap on. And you say to yourself, oh, I'd like to go see him, but I'm a little bit afraid. Or maybe you're uh, like you, you like movies and, and Sandra Bullock, she's beautiful. I don't know why she'd be in the airport. But anyway, she's in the airport and, and you see her and you think to yourself, oh, I'd like to go see her, but you're afraid. Or maybe the president is there, Joe Biden. And you say to yourself, I'd like to approach him. Uh, I'm afraid, uh, but I might be bold. Let me help you with this. Do not be bold. 
There's something called the secret service. They don't want you to be bold. And so you shouldn't be bold with, with him. But you, you don't approach because your fear is the fear of rejection. So this woman, Lucy, she decides she's going to come in behind him She's going to touch the tassels on his garment. And she is going to hope that she will be healed. That is her plan. Touch is so important. One of the things about the lockdown a couple of years ago with COVID that was so hurtful was when loved ones couldn't go into the hospital or couldn't go into care facilities to, to, to love people with a touch. There's just something amazing about a touch. And the Jewish people, uh, even today, the uh, traditional Jews have, a, have an expression. It's called Shomer Naga, and that means, are you uh, observant of touch? See, the rule is, if you're uh, orthodox, is that uh, men and women who aren't married to one another don't touch one another. It's just the rule. And so uh, if a Jewish man approaches a Jewish woman or vice versa, she or he might say, are you Shomer? Are you... People of not touching is what they're asking. Do you observe this rule? Jesus, we see, (laughs) Jesus didn't always adhere to the rules. He was kind of a little bit of a rebel in some regards, not sinfully, but he, in one story, he is in this city, uh, outside the city called Sychar. There's a well there. He encounters a woman. All right, so she's Samaritan, he's Jewish, they don't talk to each other. That's the first level. Samaritan and Jews don't talk. Men and women don't talk. Rabbis certainly don't talk to unmarried or married women. They don't just don't talk to women. And so Jesus comes up, he's thirsty, and he says, Hey, would you like to give me a drink? I'd like, could you give me a drink? Would you give me a drink? And she is baffled. The rough translation is, dude, you can't talk to me, is kind of what she says. You're not supposed to talk to me. You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan. You're a dude, I'm a gal, you can't do this. And yet he does. Jesus does these things. And this woman, she knows the stories of the Messiah that the Son of Righteousness will come with healing in His wings. She's read that. She's heard that. And there's Jesus, and He's healing people. And logically, she says to herself, Okay, if I can just touch the fringe of His kanaf, I'll be healed. And she does. And it says, immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. And there's this unbelievable electric moment where she internally says to herself, can't you just imagine it? She's in this crowd. 
she reaches out and she touches the hem of his garment. And it just like when I hit my, ma- my finger with the mallet, there's a signal that went to my brain that told me something. There's a signal that goes from her hand to her brain that says, you are healed. And she is immediately healed. And she, for 12 years, hasn't been healed. And now she thinks, oh, I'd forgotten what it feels like to be normal. And this is what it feels like to be whole again. Her crazy scheme worked. Lucy had a scheme that worked. End of story. (laughs) Except Jesus says, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Look what happens. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. That in and of itself is an amazing uh, sentence. How would he know that? I mean, how in tune to himself was he? That is an amazing sentence. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Now, you see the people crowding around you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? They're they're like, dude, come on. Who touched you? Everybody. Everybody here. All of these people. We all touched you. All of them touched you. And Jesus said, uh, Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. Now think about from the perspective of the woman. She did it in secret. All right, so her community would have known she's unclean. So can't you imagine, all right, if if this is my scheme, I'm going to wear a a cloak. I'm going to pull it low over my face. I'm going to kind of ease through the crowd. I'm going to bump and nudge and elbow and do whatever. I'm going to not try try to draw attention to myself. In fact, the thing I want least in life at this moment is attention because I'm not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to be there. And she sneaks up, and I would think, just in my mind's eye, I think she she reached as far as she could and touched and then backed up, and people came in. And so he didn't know who it it was somebody immediately around him because I I think she's probably backing away. That's how you would do it. That's how I would do it. I'm kind of sneaky. I know this stuff. Uh, That's what I would do. Back up. I think she's worried at this point. Is he going to take my healing away? Wouldn't that be what you thought? Why would he ask otherwise? I broke the law, and now he's going to take it away. And there would be this roller coaster of emotion. I'm healed. Oh, no. No, 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 no. And it brings us to the next point, that healing and truth go together. This is kind of a really interesting story here. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, of course she knew, 
came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him really interesting language the whole truth when we're caught we have a tendency to tell not the whole truth right oh officer i'm sorry i didn't know i was speeding uh, i was taking this generous donation to the policeman's ball you know so Oh, officer, uh, I didn't know I was speeding. I'm heading to the church to feed the widows. You know, we, we make stuff up. We, we, we tell not the whole truth. You never say to a police officer, yeah, dude, I saw your car at Dunkin' Donuts and I didn't think you could catch me. I mean, you don't say that. You don't tell the whole truth. Yeah, I'm late. I just don't care about those speed limits. Uh, you know, we just don't do that. And she tells him the whole truth. And I don't know what it was for her. Maybe she said to Jesus, for 12 years I've asked and I've gotten nothing and I've almost given up on God and you were my last chance, my last gasp. And I'm so tired. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm so tired. I don't know what she said. Lord, I don't have much faith, but I believed in you. I suspect when she fell at his feet, there was quite a bit of thanks. I wonder if she said, please don't take this away. I've waited so long. Please don't take it away. And I think a rabbi would have the prerogative to scold her if he wanted to. She had broken the law. This scheme was illegal. He, as the rabbi, he is a teacher of the people of Israel, would have the opportunity, the right, if you will, to scold her a bit if he wanted. But that's not Jesus and who he is. He did scold people occasionally when it would be to their benefit. It wouldn't be to her benefit. See, the reason... He asks is because a relationship with a healer is better than healing. <laughs> you can get healing and not know the healer. I've got a friend. He was hit by a car. He was pronounced dead. He was resuscitated. He doesn't really talk about the healer. He received healing. He just doesn't talk about the healer. He knows better. He just doesn't do it. He said to her, all right, so remember, she, she has suffered emotionally, physically, spiritually. So he says to her, daughter, all right, so Jesus is publicly reinstating her. Physically, he's done the work, but there's more than just physical healing going on. Daughter, that means she's a daughter of Israel. That means she is no longer unclean. That means she can now be part of the Jewish community again. Daughter speaks to her spiritual healing. Your faith has healed you physically. Go in peace and be free. The stigma is now gone. See, with Jesus, healing occurs sometimes. But knowing Jesus is the greatest gift, 
All right, so now we're going to close. Let's go back to Jairus just for a second. Mark does this many times in his gospel. There's a story within a story. It's called a Markin sandwich. I'm not even making that up. The Markin sandwich, a story inside a story. Now, in this particular instance, I believe Mark put this story inside the other story to draw a contrast. Think about it. Jairus is a man. Lucy is a woman. Jairus is wealthy. It says he has servants. Well, we noted that Lucy doesn't have any money. Jairus is well-known. He is a leader in the synagogue. We really don't even know Lucy's name. He is clean. She is unclean. There could be no greater parallel. One is upstanding. The other is ostracized. It's really interesting. And yet Jesus interrupts somebody to help a nobody. It's really a cool part of this story. If I'm Jairus now, if I'm Jairus and Jesus is heading to heal my 12-year-old daughter and this lady shows up, I'm going to be like, hey, honey, get in the queue. Uh, You know, uh, uh, I was here first. He's going with me. (laughs) I, I saw him first. See, here's the deal. In God's kingdom, nobody is a nobody. Everybody's somebody. And Jesus interrupted a somebody to serve a nobody. It's a beautiful story. It is just one of the greatest stories. So let's end. I usually end with one question. Today we're going to end with three. As you hear the story, you're probably thinking to yourself, I need healing. Maybe it's emotional or spiritual. Maybe it's physical. I need healing. So the question is, where do you need healing? I'm assuming you do. Maybe you don't. It's cool if you don't. You're in a good season. You should appreciate that. Now, the second question would be, can I get past my fear to actually ask? Can I be like this woman, even though I'm afraid, can I be bold? And the third question is the most difficult of all. Am I willing to take not yet for an answer? I did the math. 12 years, 365 days a year, if... She asked every day, and if it was me, I would ask every day, and I'd probably ask multiple times a day. But let's go bare minimum. 12 years, 365 days a year, that's 4,000 not yet. More than 4,000 times in my mind, she has asked, Lord, heal me, and over 4,000 times he has said, not yet. Please heal me, not yet. Please, pretty please, not yet. Not yet is one of the most frustrating answers we get from God. 
But there was a reason. If he had healed her 12 years ago, she would have never met the healer. I mean, think about it. If he had done it any of those other 4,000 times, she would have never met Jesus. There's a reason. And for 4,200 and something days, she didn't know the reason. But on that day, she did. And the healing wasn't just physical. It was everything. It was everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this story. Oh, wow. That is a great story. I pray that our hearts would be supple enough to accept not yet, to continue to be bold. We pray, God, that you would teach us, care about us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.